You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Shani Boone, Divisional CFO of Human Resources for Worldwide Operations at Amazon, a company that itself I'm pretty sure it needs no introduction at this point, because if you haven't bought something on Amazon, you probably don't have the technology to even be listening to this podcast. So you're not here anyway. Shani, welcome to the show today. <laughs> Thank you for that warm welcome, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners. Now, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And now this is a relatively new role for you, right? You've only been with Amazon for a couple of months now. When did you start officially? I started in January of this year. And this is a recent transition after a number of years with Discovery Inc., come with the Discovery Channel, Discovery Network, all that kind of fun stuff. So this is a new world in many ways that I'm sure has opened the door for a whole lot of different communication style adaptations and uh, lots of learning curve in any new job. Am, am I off on that? You're not off. You're dead on. <laughs> <laughs> so let's launch right in then. Given your new role, what would you say is your 30-second elevator pitch? Sure. Well, I like to say that I ensure that our worldwide operations business not only has sufficient resources to accomplish its financial and operational goals, but also that those resources are optimized and used efficiently so that you, the customer, receive your order on time. Beautiful, crystal clear. And heck, I know what's in it for me as a listener to it. So that's just about what we can ask for for any possible elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. Love it. And heaven knows I have purchased many a thing on Amazon and certainly looked for, okay, what can I get overnight? So I'm glad to know that you're back there making sure that all the uh, cogs in the machine are working. Tell me in the new job, what's your favorite part? So I'm passionate about making the unimaginable possible. But let me be clear, Laura. Okay. I am no magician. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's not what I'm saying. What I mean by that is I truly enjoy helping a business achieve its vision and reach its full potential from goal setting, developing an action plan, and then executing on it. And all of that is exciting to me. So every day I see my role at work as how am I helping the business advance forward today? What creative solution or idea did I contribute today? Or what did I learn today that will help better inform my decisions, thoughts, and ideas tomorrow in the continued quest to move the business forward? And I think it's so interesting that you use the phrase creative solutions, because of course, problem solving in itself requires creativity. But I think a lot of people who are not in the numbers world, not in the finance or engineering, et cetera, don't tend to think about creativity when it comes to things like accounting and finance and balance sheets and those kinds of things. But you really do have to, it's not just about artistic creativity and design of sorts that, can you give an example of where creative solutions come into place in your world? Sure. Well, you're absolutely right in terms of the numbers are the numbers, right? So there's no 
creativity to be done with the numbers. That's where you get into trouble, right? However, the numbers tell a story mm. and that's where the creativity comes in. Like what, what are the numbers telling me? What are they not telling me, right? Because they really do tell you what's going well within a business, what's not going well, uh, what could potentially become a problem. So it could be what we would call a lagging indicator of a potential challenge that's on the horizon. And so that's the fun part. That's where the creativity comes in, right? And so once you're able to really understand that narrative behind the numbers and then helping, like I said, the business kind of think through that, being their thought partner, like, okay, what do we do with this data now? So again, help the business continue to move forward. Yes. And the notion of understanding the narrative and being able to tell the story of the numbers, that's the bridge yes. that makes such a difference to me. And, and so many of my clients I work with, especially those who are in the financial verticals, the CFOs, et cetera, because there's that temptation to get lost in the expert's curse mm -hmm. where it's so intuitive to you and to experts with your degree of experience that well, the numbers, what they say are obvious, not recognizing that when you're going, especially to other to other operations, other verticals, other other collaborators, that story that the numbers tell isn't obvious from the spreadsheet. And to be able to not just walk people through what the numbers are, but to interpret them mm -hmm. and to narrate, to use that word, your narrative and share what's behind the scenes. What is it that you're not seeing? What are the numbers themselves not telling you on their face value? And translating that to a way that everybody else just gets it and goes, oh, okay. That makes sense. That's yes. such a fabulous and powerful skill set. Yes. And if you've got that, no wonder Amazon just snatched you up. <laughs> and you're right. It is a powerful skill set. But that's also what's exciting about being in finance and partnering with the business, right? When you see that happening, when you see your business partner understand what's happening, and then you start brainstorming about what to do next, that's really exciting. Absolutely. I love getting my, whether it's a partner, a client, a collaborator, a student to just have that light bulb yes. moment, right? Yes. Where if the eyes get big and they go, oh, now I get it. Exactly. That's when you know you've been successful and you're going to move that needle in whole new ways. So tell me about what's coming up. What's something that's exciting or that's at least important mm -hmm. that's happening at Amazon or in the industry currently, or you can see it coming on the horizon. And how are you going to need to adjust your communication or at least be mindful leading up to it? Well, a lot of companies right now, such as Walmart, Macy's, your local restaurants as well, and Amazon is certainly not immune to it, are having challenges finding and hiring talent. Now, there are various perspectives from economists, recruiters, et cetera, on why that is from the unemployment benefits, offering incentive for people not to look for work to increased competition to the cost of childcare being prohibitive to looking for work right now. And so firstly, while it may look like the sky is falling and operational leaders are stressed and anxious over whether they will meet their goals and revenue targets, et cetera, in spite of the labor shortfall, I have to be the calming force in these conversations and drive the conversations towards solutions quickly. And that's the important part, quickly. If finance is stressed, that sends alarm bells reverberating around the entire organization. And that is not what you want to happen. 
So my goal has been and continues to be to focus the team on solutions in the near term and midterm to address the hiring challenges that we are facing right now. It's so amazing to realize that an organization as big as Amazon, one of the magnas as it's often referred to, is facing the same kinds of challenges as a mom and pop restaurant or a convenience store yes. trying to figure out how to staff the increased need for all the reasons that you enumerated and others, but just to think about, okay, what kind of creative solutions do we need to come up with? Mm -hmm. and, and you've listed a whole bunch of possible solutions or at least challenges that need to be addressed in order to get people to work. And what I'm assuming, now, is it primarily the need to staff positions like the delivery drivers and the warehouse people who are just packing boxes right and left. I know how often I'm certainly asking them to do that <laughs> from my house alone. Or is it more the back office people or a little bit of everybody? It's a little bit of everybody. But yes, you're right. As I mentioned at the outset of our conversation, that my role is focused on, you know, helping find sufficient resources so that you, the customer, receive that package on time, mm -hmm. right? And so, yes, we are focused on the operation side. So there's an entire ecosystem, as you can imagine, behind the operations. It is a juggernaut there. It's a, a complicated web. It's fascinating, actually. I just, uh, when I learned it, it was like, wowzers. Um, but it's fascinating to see how, again, when you as a customer go onto our site, you order a product, just all the things that has to happen behind the scenes, all the people that we have to employ to, again, ensure that you, the customer, receive your order on time. I can only imagine what that org chart would even look like. I mean, it's just, no, actually, I take it back. I can't even begin to imagine what that, <laughs> what that flow chart or org chart or any sort of diagram or list, et cetera, must be like mind boggling. So who are some of the stakeholder groups that you need to influence then? It sounds like there's quite a number of very differing groups. Yes. Well, I feel like finance has to influence everyone, right? In order to be effective. But specifically in my current role, I have to influence other executives and their teams in worldwide operations, in HR, in PR, in program management, some of my other colleagues in finance as well, such as payroll and procurement, and of course, my manager and my team. Yes. And in, in doing all of this, have you had to learn to shift your speech style or, or your approach perhaps to be able to connect with all these different stakeholder groups effectively? while still being yourself? Sure. And I truly believe in being authentic, Laura, because I feel that when you're not authentic, you're uncomfortable. And so the other person on the other side of you listening to you can sense how uncomfortable you are. And so therefore, whatever you're saying to them has lost its power, right? And so what I do, though, is I adapt to... I frame the message around what I know will resonate with them. And so I'm sure that, you know, listeners' question would be, well, well, Sean, how would you know, especially since you just started this job recently? And one of the things I like to do with every new role that I take on is I take the first 30 days and just have a listening tour, essentially. Like I literally have coffee chats with as many people as possible, prioritizing, of course, my key stakeholders. And I want to learn from them, you know, how they've been working with finance before, how effective they believe the partnership has been, what would they like to see more of from their partnership in finance. And that really provides a blueprint for me of what's important to them 
And of course, clearly, I want to know what their goals are, what the priorities are for their department as well. So now moving forward, when I need to influence them in a certain case, I at least already know what's important to them. I already know how they would like to work with finance. And hopefully by that time, I've already had some early wins with them. So if there were some challenges that they had shared during that conversation, I was able to address them really quickly and earn their trust quickly and truly be viewed as a a trusted partner with them. So, you know, fast forward then whenever I have that conversation, having that foundation helps me to frame the message in such a way that it resonates with them and that they understand it. And I feel that that's the key to being able to influence people. You have to take yourself out of it and really understand how your audience is understanding what you're saying, and but just how they absorb data because people absorb data in very different ways. And so being open to understanding those different ways, I think is a key to success and being able to influence others. And that goes back to that notion of translation, right? Understanding if you're better able to process this kind of information versus that, let me translate what I need to say so that I can put it in those terms yes. and help put the square peg into the round hole, yes. so to speak, put my data into your brain. Exactly. My brother's a nuclear engineer. I'm a linguist. We joke that my parents just split the genes right down the middle. He got all the numbers. I got all the letters and uh-huh. you know, numbers and I do not get along nearly as well as I would like us to. We're still working on a truce, but we're, we're getting there. It's, it's a long and slow process. But yes, to the extent that I have to you know, do the financials and work with all that kind of fun stuff in business, whew, it is definitely longer conversations with my accountant and with others who I'm sure need to translate things in a very different way for me than they would certainly for you or for anybody else, where you could use three words and know exactly what each other means <laughs> in its entirety. And I need 45 minutes worth of prolonged explanation. So uh, (laughs) great, great to be able to do that. Now, in doing all that in the virtual world Mm -hmm. can also make things a little bit more difficult. And I'm sure, of course, with a company like Amazon, so much of it is already virtual other than warehouses and delivery and the more tangible aspect of the retail. But how has your personal virtual presence improved your ability to be effective on screen here on video, et cetera? over the course of the last year or so? And do you have any tips that you can share? Yeah, that's a really great question, especially during these times, because I didn't realize it, but I took for granted being able to see the whole person in front of you, Mm. right? And so you could, you know, see if a person begins to fidget or, you know, they're crossing their arms or if their leg starts to fidget or what have you, right? You could look to those kind of body language cues to understand how they're absorbing what you're saying to them. But now here on video, you can only see from the neck up for me, right? So you can, unless I show you my hands, you, mm-hmm. you can't see my hands, you can't see what my legs are doing, right? You literally can only see my face. And so I have had to be more intentional, especially when you're on a conference call with a number of different people, right? I've had to be intentional with looking at each person's face to see if I can see any change in facial expression to understand whether what I'm saying is resonating with them or not. And conversely, I need to make sure that the facial expression that I am showing on camera is still one of approachability and that I'm listening to them. 
that I'm not looking to the left, looking to the right, looking up and down or, you know, or moving around a lot, which conveys to the other person on the other side that you're not listening to them. You're not really engaged. You might be looking for, you know, a piece of paper for the meeting or something or what have you. And if you have to do that, just turn off your camera for a second, grab that and come back. And so I've had to be very mindful of that because if you're sitting in front of a person, it's very easy to do that. Like, oh, let me go over here and grab this file or what have you that has, you know, the analysis that I printed out or whatever. But that translates in a very different way on video. So I have to be mindful of my facial expressions and I have to be very intentional about watching other people's facial expressions to understand whether or not what I'm saying is landing or not. Yes. And adjust quickly if it's not. Yes. And then pause and ask, you know, ask if anyone has questions or just kind of pause, right? People are afraid of silence. Yes. But silence actually sometimes will motivate people to feel the silence, right? Because no one really likes silence. So if you, the presenter, if you're silent, then your audience kind of feels, oh, maybe I should say something, right? Mm. And so that's when you get them to be able to open up. So actually, I hadn't thought of that before, but that's a way of influencing, actually. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. It's just almost by omission. That right. Just leaving it and compelling somebody else to feel that compulsion to fill the silence. Yes. And get them to participate. I love it. Exactly. And, you know, the point that you made about being more intentional and more, you didn't say the word itself, but what I'm hearing is also more explicit in telling people what you're looking for too. I know for me mm-hmm. in particular, for those of you who are tuning into this on the YouTube channel and watching the full video, which if anybody else out there who's just listening on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever else doesn't, didn't know, you can of course see the full video of our conversation here if you go to the Speaking to Influence podcast YouTube channel. And the links to all that will be in the show notes, of course, as well. But I know that as we're talking, I'm taking notes because I want to be able to refer back to some of these points later on. And so I've got a notebook over to the side and I got my pen here in my hand. So as you're talking, often I am looking off on sort of a 45 degree downward angle and I'm taking my notes. And often I will tell people when I'm doing that, I'll show them the pen and just say, by the way, I'm going to take notes as you talk. So if you see me looking down here, you know that that's what I'm doing. See me looking somewhere else, she can start to question, okay, is she just you know, getting coffee? Is she looking at her phone? Is she doing something else? But at least, you know, if I'm looking in this direction, it's me taking notes. That's where my pad is. Exactly. So it just helps to put people at ease so that they know how to interpret what is otherwise completely ambiguous, but very loud mm-hmm. body language mm-hmm. in many ways. Yes. Yes. Now that brings us then to our listener 24 hour influence challenge of the day. So I would love to give you the opportunity here to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would love to challenge the audience to have a conversation with someone that you don't ordinarily have a conversation with. It could be one of your key stakeholders or not, and just listen to them. So essentially set up your own mini listening tour. Go and schedule time with them, chat with them about you know their background and experience. People love to talk about themselves, I've learned. So I've never had anyone turn me down for a quick coffee chat, but then ask them, what are the challenges? What are some some challenges they're facing in their business right now? And the key is to just really listen 
to them. That's all you're doing is just listen to them. And you'll be surprised at what you might learn and then follow up with them. You know, if they shared with you for instance that they're having, you know, a, a challenging time and finding top talents, if you happen to run across an article that's talking about the exact same topic, but perhaps offers a creative idea or what have you of how to make a job or so look more appealing, then share that article with them. Mm. And that shows the person that you met with that you were listening. And you'd be really surprised at just how far that goes in terms of earning trust and gaining credibility with that person by just listening. Yeah. And it doesn't, you don't have to follow with something major. It could be something small, like, oh, I heard on the radio about this happening here. I thought of you when I heard about that, that that might be something you should, could think about. So again, just just following up on something that they shared with you to, again, convey that you heard them, you listened to them. It is funny that even people who are not typically talkers, when you give them the opportunity, and of course, it, it may depend on if it's just a networking conversation versus someone who works for you, who reports up to you versus a peer in a different department, perhaps, or an internal business partner of some sort. But um, how often do we think to ourselves, you know what, nobody asked my opinion anyway. You know, if I ran the world, here's what I do differently. Here's what drives me crazy. But no, that, nobody's going to change that because nobody cares what I think about it. Mm-hmm. And for you to actually turn around, and, turn around and say, you know what, I want to know what you think. You watch people just sit there and look at you blankly for like two seconds as they process. Like, really? You want to know what I think? <laughs> exactly. You, you want my opinion? Yeah. Okay. Well, ho ho. All right. Let's get ready. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and here we go. So it'll be interesting to see how much information they're willing to unload that you'll realize, oh my gosh, it's a good thing I asked these questions because <laughs> this can really change the trajectory of your relationship yeah. with them. And to your point, the subsequent influence you have with them as well. Not in a negative, manipulative sense. You're not doing this for underhanded purposes. It's for the legitimate development of the relationship and the value that it has later on to everybody. Exactly. And correct me if I'm wrong, Shani, but to the extent that we just described a a number of elements in this listening tour and in the follow-up, et cetera, with regard to the influence challenge itself of that 24-hour window, that first step could just be reaching out to the person and saying, mm-hmm. let's set a date. Exactly. Because it may take two weeks before you can sure. actually find a time on the calendar that's convenient for both of you. And then it could be another three months before you somehow see that article online and mm-hmm. it triggers the memory of the conversation. And then you send it to them, which in some ways is almost better because it shows that you still care. Exactly. It's not just that out of sight, out of mind, that you've stuck with me mm-hmm. and I'm still interested three months later in just doing something that I thought you would appreciate. Exactly, Laura. That's exactly right. So those are examples of steps to take for a positive. Mm-hmm. Let's look in the other direction for a second and let's talk about mistakes, yeah. right? missteps along the way. I heard somebody say once, why make the same mistake twice when there are so many new ones to try out? So, <laughs> so since Everybody has made some mistake at some point. Can you share one of yours with us so that we don't have to make it a second time in the world? We can save that for some other opportunity. What's a communication-related mistake that you've made? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like? Well, I've got a doozy for you. (laughs) Okay, great. So first, let me provide some context. Okay. So I was in a new role, a new manager, 
And my manager was also... This is not at Amazon. This is a previous... This is not Amazon. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Uh, okay. And my manager was also new to that role. Okay. Yep. The company had just finished a huge transformation initiative where the business was challenged to rethink their current operations from number of headcount to processes. Mm -hmm. As a result, no headcount was being approved at this time. Like Mm. no new hires, no backfills, no transfers, nothing. So after a period of time, the moratorium on the headcount approvals was lifted and naturally the floodgates opened. I was inundated with headcount approvals. Mm -hmm. And finance is typically part of the approval chain for headcount requests. So that's context, that's background for you. Okay. The communication mistake I made was that while I pulled the and on cord to my manager stating that this is a problem. You pulled the what cord? I'm sorry, I, just, I missed that word. I pulled the and on cord. So like in an assembly line, they have what they call an and on cord okay. where if there's a problem, so if a piece didn't get put onto the car correctly or if there is a dent in the piece, or if there's some quality issue, you pull the and on cord to stop the entire assembly line to focus on that issue and fix it. Okay. And so I pulled it to my manager stating that this is a problem and there is no way that I alone could review and approve all of these headcount requests. How many requests would you say there were? Was it dozens? Was it hundreds? Thousands? Hundreds. Almost up to a thousand. Wow. It was a lot. And when I say floodgates, I mean floodgates, okay? (laughs) (laughs) All at once. (gasps) All at once. Boom. Inbox explosion. Yes, exactly. And so, like I said, the mistake I made was that even though I pulled the and on cord, told my manager that this is a problem, I did not provide a compelling reason nor sufficient context Mm. for why what on the surface to my manager appeared to be perhaps a time management problem Mm. was actually much, much bigger than that. I tried to offer a solution of delegating some of these requests, uh, but my manager unfortunately wasn't amenable to that solution. Mm. And Laura, I did not have a plan B because mm. I assumed that my manager would be okay with that solution that I offered. Unfortunately, they weren't. Mm. I mean, it sounded reasonable to me, but therein was my flaw. I did not focus on their needs. Mm. I only focused on why this was not working for me mm. and why I was, again, being inundated with all of these requests and just having a challenging time reviewing all of them in a timely manner. And so, and meanwhile, you have other executives like screaming, where's my headcount? I've been waiting mm. for a year for this, etc." I mean, it was, when I say that this was a doozy, Lord, this was a doozy. Okay. <laughs> So looking back, and once again, I'm new, right. okay? So remember I talked about, you know, the listening tour, trying mm-hmm. to earn trust and credibility early on, like that was completely shot, completely out the door, okay? Yeah, ripped the rug right up under your own feet. Exactly. So looking back, clearly I should have had a plan B, okay? When I proposed the that idea that I thought was a really good one, but <laughs> my manager did not. But more importantly, we should have been transparent and communicated to all of our executives and partners, the approval backlog Mm. and ask for their patience and set a deadline of when all of the approvals would have been completed. You know, hindsight 2020 right now, that sounds so simple, right? Like, yeah, why didn't we do that, right? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) But quite frankly, we underestimated the volume 
and the downstream implication mm. of the backlog. Mm. And further, we did not continue searching for other solutions. And like I said, most importantly, we did not communicate the challenges that we were facing with anyone. Sure. Huge mistake. So everyone else was in the dark, right? And was just thinking, okay, this person's not doing their job. And like I said, my manager was under the assumption that was a, a time management issue. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, the floodgates had opened and we did not have a mechanism or a process in place to manage that volume. So if you can go back to that very, very first time that you approached your manager, trying to inform him or her about this new avalanche and the problem that was impending as a result of it, how would you have started that conversation or what would you have said differently? So I would have, one, I didn't take into account how that person received data, okay? So knowing the person a little bit better now, I would have provided a data point to say, here are all the approvals that are in the queue Each one takes X amount of time. That's a total of X hours and minutes. By the way, this is a new rule for me. I have 14 executives that I need to meet and greet and understand what they need and other things like month and close they had to manage and forecast and all of that and really provide that big picture of because of all that, it only leaves X amount of time to approve these requests. And here's the gap. And because of this gap, it will take until this time frame to actually achieve it, which would have been months later, right? So that would have created more of a sense of urgency to my manager about the problem itself. So really, like I said, adding more data points around it instead of just assuming that they took my word for it and trusted what I said, that this is a problem. And it doesn't have to be big, complicated data points, just no. simply doing the the super basic arithmetic as far as I have a thousand of these requests yes. that have come in in the past 24 hours. Each one takes, is it 15 minutes, an hour? How long does, it, does one of those approvals take? Probably like 10 minutes okay. each to make sure everything is correct. You have the right budget for it, right. et cetera. And then the overall context of what the org is supposed to look like, because again, we had gone through a transformation sure. exercise to, you know, previous org to new org and making sure you had all of that data. Like it was intense. Very time intensive. So just the ability to say, look, if it's 10 minutes a piece and there's a thousand of them, then it's going to take me X number of hours to go through that, which basically translates to if I did nothing but this for eight hours a day, it would take me the next four months to be able to finish. And that's if that was my full-time job itself. Exactly. Hence, you know, we'll be, these people at the very least will be waiting that many months for an answer, assuming it's yes. So that puts things into perspective yes. a little bit more. There's the narrative of sorts. Exactly. That's exactly right, Laura. I did not provide a compelling narrative for why, one, why it mattered for them and also why it mattered for our partners, our right. business partners as well. Just like you said, yes, it's going to take them. They already been waiting a long time to kind of build the new org. And now we're making them wait even longer. Yes, yes. And it's, I think, another layer that can often be compelling to add on to that is, so just so you know, boss, if that happens, and you've got these 14 executives who are all waiting for all these requisitions and all waiting for these approvals, when they're waiting for more time than they think they should, we are going to expect to be receiving complaints and receiving whatever other kinds of information that we are then going to have to respond to that will be far less pleasant than what we would like to otherwise be able to say. So if we'd like to avoid that pain point, Mm -hmm. then perhaps we need to come up with something 
as an alternative solution as well. Th- those can often be the most compelling reasons. Like, okay, boss, I get that, you know, I need to do this and these people want that. But if this doesn't happen, they're going to complain to you. And I would like to protect you from that. Yes, exactly. Again, what's in it for them? Why is it important for them? And like I said, that was a mistake that I made. I focused on just my ability to do all this in a reasonable amount of time, which I guess it came across as if I could manage my time. Like, no, that's not it at all. Like, this isn't a time management issue. Like, we need a process here and this is going to take time. And we should have communicated with our partners to and been transparent with them to kind of bring them in. Yes. And we did not do that. So by keeping them out, we weren't able to influence how they thought about the delay in these approvals. And so we left them to their own thoughts, essentially. Yes. And so often people will avoid those kinds of negative conversations up front just because they're uncomfortable and they don't want to have people upset with them. But then by putting off those conversations and waiting until later by not having that transparency, as you mentioned, it only escalates. Exactly. It's only going to get worse. And it's just a question of when the fit hits the shan, as it were. And, mm-hmm. and people come back to you and say, well, where is it? And why didn't you? And then you have to answer the question of, why didn't you tell us this three months ago when you knew it was a problem? <laughs> then it's just a whole other layer of ugly that gets on the whole thing. Exactly. So you don't want to just address it up front as soon as you know there's a problem going on. Do not hide. That transparency is mission critical, I think. Oh, my goodness. So much to learn. So much to teach. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more directly from that teaching perspective, especially with regard to the future generations. This is a fun little thought here. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony. What advice would you give the graduates, whether or not they're going to college, regardless of their major or career goals? What's one thing they have to do to be successful? Well, I would say there are actually four things that they have to do. Okay. First and foremost, be true to yourself. Never compromise who you are. Secondly, be open. You know, live in new places, explore, be open to feedback, different perspectives. Number three, Be curious, never stop learning. And the last one, number four, do not stress out about not having it all figured out because honestly, you really never will. We're always growing and evolving and that's just the beauty of life. So enjoy the ride. So Laura, if I feel like, you know, if they embrace those four tenets, I promise them that they will have a full life. I love that. And my 18 year old is getting ready to take that next leap into the next stage of his world. And I'm about to pass along all of these pieces of advice because I could not agree more with every last one of them. It's great to have all of that good parenting advice reinforced and career advice all at the same time. Shani, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been such a fun conversation. So many fabulous takeaways. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. This has been amazing. A great experience. Thank you. How can people learn more about you if they want to follow up? I don't think it's hard for people to figure out how to learn more about Amazon because, like I said, everybody's probably there on a daily or weekly basis already as it is. How can they learn more about you? Sure. They can find me on LinkedIn. All right. So Shawnee Boone, will put the link in the show notes and you can find her there. Once again, thank you so much for joining me today and thank everybody else who's out there. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and give us a five-star rating. If you haven't done so already, we'd be extremely grateful on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence 
presence and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for greater virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.